tired. So tired. Overtired. You're listening to Overtired. I'm Christina Warren. Brett Terpstra is indisposed this week. We decided to give him the week off. But the person who is not indisposed and is here with me is uh, my good pal, Jeff Severance Gunzel. Jeff, how are you? I'm good. Not indisposed for once. Uh, I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I got to spend uh, time yesterday with uh, some friends of mine who I haven't seen in a while. Um, one is visiting from out of town and another, she lives nearby, but we just she's far enough away that I don't see her that often. And so I got to hang out with um, her and her husband and her baby. And I got to go to a park and go on swings. I hadn't been on a swing in probably 20 years. So that was fun. (laughs) That was really fun. Um, And uh, yeah, no, I'm good. Um, So uh, we, we actually, for, for listeners, we recorded like three days ago. So Mm -hmm. this is like, you're hearing it a week later, but we recorded like three days ago. So, um, what's been going on with you over the last little bit, Jeff? How's how's the COVID recovery and everything, uh, the the back to life after the, the road trip and everything going? COVID recovery is good. Back to life is good. We tried to put in a new like vanity and medicine cabinet and stuff in the bathroom today, and none of them really work. So we're <laughs> oh, no. sitting on top of a lot of stuff that we really just need to return and replace. So that's a little like frustrating. Um but so otherwise, since then, I don't know. I've just been kind of trying to get my feet back on the ground after my trip and the COVID before it. So how about you? Um, I'm good. I'm, I've been, yeah, again, I just, you know, had like work stuff. And uh, and like I said, I, I went to a park with a baby, which was really fun. Went to so, a park with a baby. That should be a activity you can choose any day. I agree. Well, it was funny because we were like having this conversation. We were like, why don't they have like playgrounds for adults? Because playgrounds are freaking fun. Yeah. Like, you totally. know, like, 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 like big, like adult slides and, and, you know, uh, seesaws and swings and, right. and bouncy castles. And, you know, like there's, you, you, you could have like other stuff too, where people could like turn it into CrossFit stuff, I guess. But like, you know, like there's, you could have rules like, okay, it's indoors cause we don't want the bugs, but like, you know, so the park we were at was actually absolutely outdoors, but you know, you could, you could have rules like, okay, you can't bring alcohol cause we don't want the liability mm-hmm. issue, but sure. like, why not just like have like more than like a Dave and Buster's, but like a full on like playground type of situation. Like, I think that that would be, that would be for me. I would, I would much prefer that to like the normal gym. I'm not even going to lie. Man. What's as you were talking, I, I had this, I was trying to kind of picture it. And one of the things that happens at a park for kids that I would actually enjoy as an adult is how kids can be hanging out at the picnic table and then they can decide to just run off and do a thing on their own yep. or do a thing with one other person. Then they come back to the picnic table for a bit. It's just kind of a good model for an introvert uh, to be socially. Exactly. You know? Exactly. It's like you could still, you could have like, like, like the, the picnic table of whatever, you know, and people are like, yeah, I'm going to go to the climbing wall now, or I'm going to go in the swings. Yep. And then you come back and like, I'm going to hang out with my friends, you know, and it's yep. completely cool. Yeah, yeah. Just someone just needs someone to keep the juice boxes cold. Exactly. All right. So, so I'm going to be working on a business plan for, for my adult park Great. idea. Um, adult, not adult park, but adult playground idea. And uh, also like in addition to, to the no alcohol, no sex stuff, because that's, yeah. no. again, need a code of conduct. Yep. Have a code of conduct and be like, look, if you meet people and you like, mm-hmm. like each other, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But like, don't, don't fuck at the adult playground. Like, just That's when you don't. upgrade to the mall. Exactly. Or a parking lot or something. A parking Whatever. lot or like, yeah. Or, Shit, yeah, exactly. you want to get on to, yeah. 
Exactly. All right. And all the other people can hang out. Just slide, stop, slide, stop. Love it. All right. I'm in. Okay. You need like, what do you need? 20 bucks, 40 bucks? Get you started. <laughs> yeah, sure. That, 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 that'll definitely be enough. Um, mm-hmm. Listeners, let us know uh, what you think of my adult playground idea. Um, and, uh, and it's probably a terrible idea, but, but uh, yeah, I mean. You want to give them your uh, GoFundMe address? Yeah, I was going to say GoFundMe.com <laughs> slash adult playground no that actually probably isn't nope, thing, and i don't want to nope, do that that's I don't not do that. the one you want to nope <laughs> that's not the one <laughs> look there's some workshopping that has to happen yeah i was that's gonna fine. say so 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 let us know what we think about the idea first and then i'll 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 like be soliciting for uh for investors <laughs> awesome okay awesome all right should, should should we do our mhc let's do our mhc <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah. MHC is our, our mental health corner. Um, uh, uh, Brett actually sent me some photos yesterday of him at MacStock with um, some of uh, some some people, some mutual friends that we have. Or no, no, no. Brett didn't send it to me. Uh, 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 Jay Miller did. Uh, he but he was with Brett and with Mike Rose, and I was so jealous of them at uh-huh. MacStock. So I really wanted to go this year, and it didn't work out. But uh, I'm definitely I've, I've committed already. I'm definitely going to be there next year, and I think you need to commit as well. So that uh, yeah, I'd love to. So that we can actually have like a an in person overtired conf, um, but uh, how's your mental health going, Jeff? Good. I had a this is a, a much lighter than normal check in. Like yesterday, a friend of mine and I we had been planning this for like weeks. Decided to just like take the afternoon and go record shopping, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and I realized uh, he actually described this, but it 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 hit so perfectly. All of the all of the knowledge I have about music, starting from when I obsessed over reading the credits on MTV in like 1983 <laughs> uh, to the present day, all of that information I've saved and collected, sometimes even without meaning to, man, when I get to a record store, I feel like, oh, I am expert in something. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and so that was kind of fun. It was, and it was really, it was really fun to just, I haven't really like intentionally gone record shopping, certainly with a friend in a long time. It can be awkward. Like, are you ready? No, I'd like some more time, but no hurry. You know, like you just don't know what a person's timing is or like their rituals when they go into the record store. Like it takes me like 15 minutes to go through the new used records that have come in, you know, sometimes 20 minutes. Uh, I'm very slow anyhow, but it was a lovely time. But the thing that the reason this is a mental health check in is, you know, I struggle with having too much stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the categories of stuff is, you know, records and CDs and cassette tapes. And, and I'd been sitting on this box of seven inches since the early nineties. It's awesome. It's an awesome box of seven inches, but I'd never, not then and not now do I play seven inches. Right. Um, and so I realized like, yeah, these are fun to look at, but why don't I just put them back into the river here, you know? And so I brought them in and they don't usually, nobody buys 45s anymore. I mean, barely seven inches, whatever you want to call them. But I brought them in and the guy was like, you know, he's trying to set the expectations low. He's like, you know, we don't really buy, I mean, I can take a look, man. And I got $300 store credit out of these things. And so, and 20% off whatever I wanted to buy. And so I got to do the most massive record shopping I've ever done. And I bought like $350 worth of records for $10. And it felt so good to get rid of something and then just so directly 
you know, recycle it into something new and fresh. I wasn't just trying to give up space. This was more about giving up sort of psychic space. Like this had just been something I knew I should deal with for a long time. And it was just felt so good to buy so many records and not come home uh, exhausted with shame. Like, oh, why did I spend so much money? Uh, so it was cool. I've never, I've never once spent that much money record shopping and it was just lovely. Anyway, so that's my mental health chicken. It gave me a big boost and I've spent the, you know, yesterday and today just listening to the records and that's awesome. What, a, what about you? Um, yeah, no, I mean, mine is pretty good. Like I said, I was, I was able to be with uh, some friends, which was really nice. Like that always improves my mental health when I'm around people that I care about. I am. Um, I went to dinner with um, a, a person that I know mostly online. Um, uh, apparently we had met before, but I, unfortunately didn't remember. And we went out to dinner on Friday and I was anticipating that it was going to be like a dinner where, cause he just started a new job at Amazon and was in town for that. And so I figured I was like, Oh, well it'll be some of his colleagues. And then I'll be kind of be like the fifth wheel. And it wasn't, it was actually two people that he'd worked with at previous jobs who just happened to work at it were live in Seattle now, but the, you know, the other three of us didn't know each other. Um, and so um, like, it was it was kind of a nice almost like dinner party sort of thing where you know we were all it was you know you know four people kind of you know three people getting to know each other we had a mutual friend but it was a really nice like he he picked a really good group of people to kind of meet up and nobody felt like they were you know like the fifth wheel and nobody felt like you know un, un unincluded and and that was really nice and that got me thinking I was like oh that's a really nice way of maybe doing kind of group you know intros of things um yeah. But, uh, but 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 being around people helps my mental health a lot, and it's one of those things where I can have my introverted moments. But it's very th- that's times when it's like okay, it's actually really important for me now to be around people, and and it just kind of reminds me like that's what the hardest part of the last you know two plus years have been has been like not being around people because yeah. that that really does impact me. I you know and 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 it it's one of those things where you're, at least for me I, I'm like oh I don't need this. But I do. And it's one of those things where, because I've, I've had times in my life where, I mean, actually, this freaked me out. It's the first time I ever went on Clonopin or anything like that was I was having like major agoraphobia, which I'd never had before. And, you know, you almost had to do kind of like exposure therapy to kind of like get past it and, and whatnot. But it was almost like, okay, I really do need to be around people. Um, even though I'm, I'm perfectly happy by myself sometimes, like it's really important for me to be around people. And so yeah. it's been nice, you know, the last, the last few days, you know, being around people who are either new or that I haven't seen in a while. And like, that does a lot for my mental health. It's amazing. Cause you're describing such a simple thing, but it's so incredible that we've just been through a long period of time where it was completely impossible. Totally. Totally. I'm not, I'm not I just continue to be astonished by that. No, I know. And and I think that that is one of those things that we just we had to do it. And, and it's going to have so many long lasting repercussions for so many people for kids, especially, you know, for young adults, but even for adults, right? I think even for people who feel like, well, we're, we're, we're stronger, and we've gone through this stuff. It's like, no, like, our lives have had like, real disruption. And and there are real long term consequences to that. Yeah. And, and it's really nice when you're reconnected with people again, but there's still, you know, kind of this, this fear and people's, you know, some people have like, where like, you know, am, am I going to get sick? Like, what are the risks? And I'm now at the point, and I can say this like fundamentally for me, the, the, um, it, like the, the downsides of not being able to be like, kind of live my life in a more normal way 
and and be around people are much worse than like what could happen if I got like long COVID. Mm. If you know, depending on like mm-hmm. what that really even means, which yep. we don't really know what that means or, or or whatnot. Like, I'm I'm not at a point where I'm I'm you know afraid of dying of, of COVID. Um, and and I think that at this point, unless you know you are are uh, have like severe like you know immunocompromised issues or you know are older, you know there there are things that go into it. I think at this point, like we have a good treatment plan. Not to say that it's not a, a, a thing. Obviously, people are still dying, but I'm just saying for me, that is not a, a strong risk thing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of dying of COVID. And so for me, when I look at like the downsides of other stuff, like, I, and I respect people who are like, I'm not going to get on a plane. I'm not going to be around people. I'm going to be masked all the time. I get that. But for me, like the downsides of not being able to live my life the way that I was, like the the the, the trade-off is, is at this point, like, it's it's too much. So it's, it's an interesting thing because I have some friends who are not at that point and I totally respect that and, and everybody has to make their own decision. But for me, it's like, yeah, I will, I'm completely okay with the risk of getting sick if the other alternative is that I'm continuing to be alone and mm-hmm. isolated and not able to have the things that I very much need that make life worth living. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a friend who's a therapist and struggled in during COVID times with a few, you know, if someone was really isolated and they were trying to figure out, you know, this is more like the coming out of COVID time or the coming out of like the really intense lockdown times. If a, if a person was kind of thinking, maybe I want to go to this party of three people, but I know that it's dangerous. There's people I've spoken to who were in that position, like a friend who's a therapist, another friend who's like more of a kind of loose counselor role who were just like, what do I say? Because they need that and Mm -hmm. they may need that more than they need to protect themselves from COVID. Um, And I'm just hearing that when you talk, it's such an intense, intensely important thing to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it gets lost sometimes, right? Like, I think that there are some people who are like way too much on the like, uh, like, on the other end of the spectrum where like, they don't even want to acknowledge why people might take the risk. And I'm like, because this isn't going away. At least this is my perspective. And again, I'm not expecting everybody to agree with me on this. But this is not going to go away. This is not going to change. There are things that we can do, like when things are, are bad, to, to mask up and to like, you know, take more precautions. But this is not going away. And so if I have to like learn to live in this world, then I need to like learn to live with it. And I, I cannot be isolated anymore. Yeah. I, I can't. Like if other people are cool with it, fine. But like I, I can't. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's not that I don't care about other people and that I, you know, like that I'm like, you know, like wanting people to die is nothing to do with that. It's just like we all are going to have to find a way to move forward in life. And for me, I will take the risk of of getting sick. And I'm also like as long as I'm taking precautions myself and, and I'm not like forcing myself on people who are not taking those risks too. Right, right, right. right then right. then like frankly, like I'm not even gonna be like, oh well, you know, you're you you're infecting others. I'm like, well, maybe, but if they're also choosing to be out. You know what I mean? Like yep. we all have yep. to kind of accept that that that's that that's where we're at. So I don't know. 
Yeah, we got to the point with neighbors during the pandemic. We're in a we're in Minneapolis, and like typical urban houses are just like touching each other practically. And totally, we have a fence between our two houses, and we call it the border bar. We meet there with drinks um, periodically, and it started in the pandemic when it was like twenty five below. We were just like can't stand it anymore. Let's at least like stand six feet from each other in the freezing cold and have a drink. You know, it was like the mm-hmm. one social thing we could imagine. Doing, but then also just like on a really mundane level, like today, one of my kids is out playing D and D with friends. The other one is out tubing in the river. Those are things awesome. that didn't happen for two years. Exactly. You know, and they're that's important. Intense. That yeah. is intense, and they're important. Being able to go tubing, being able to go to a park, being able to like just play D and D with your friends, like it, 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 it's important to be around. We're social creatures. And, and, um, you know, I think that there are like, there would be ways where you could maybe like limit certain, we didn't ever, and and we did that the problem is to like, as a society, we didn't do anything the right way. Like we went full stop. There's no interaction, right? There was, Mm -hmm. it it was like a full, it was like a full stop of like, everything is open to everything is closed. And then it was like, everything is open again, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. some people were doing soft openings, but there was, there was no kind of like in between stuff. So it was one of those kind of like, it was like a switch. It was like on or off. And, and we had to adjust to those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do think like, I mean, now I think the way that it all went down um, and the way that we came out of it and the way we are now as a, as a, you know, conflicted culture in America mm-hmm. of many different cultures, like the next thing that happens like coronavirus, there's never going to be a, a lockdown again. No. Like no. I even like, I I've told people before, like I already live, like I'm already like uh quarantine adjacent dispositionally. And, and so like, for me, the lockdown was like, Oh, I love this. I don't have to make too many choices socially it's like a huge help for me um but it's just never going to happen again it's going to be fought intensely from the moment it's even like hinted at yeah. that's that's something i try not to spend too much time thinking about because nothing's happened yet right but like i can't help but think oh it's gonna be a not nice time <laughs> no totally and and the thing is like i, I kind of understand i i was surprised that it happened to begin with i just thought like at least in our country like i was like our our independence has always been such yeah. that that like i i was like okay i know that you can enforce this in singapore and in china and mm-hmm. some other places, but I don't think you can enforce this in the United States. And, and, and the fact that we, we did as limited as it was, you know, um, was, was kind of a, a, a testament, you know, but, but, but what that yeah. proved to me though, is it was like, if 90% of the people do the right things, if that 10% doesn't, then it's all for naught. Yeah. Like, like right. I, I became frustrated because I was like, I still ended up getting sick. Um, even though I did all the right things. Even though I, mm-hmm. I didn't take, I, I wasn't acting in a way that was in any way like going against guidelines, right? Like I did all the right things. So what was this all for? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. my, my parents' friends still died. Like we still had people who weren't able to be at, at their loved ones' funerals. Um, right. We still had like these situations. Like we did all the right things and it didn't matter. So like there's a big part of me as unhelpful as this might be and as selfish as this might be. And and I'm fine with, with, with accepting that. I'm, I'm just kind of like, yeah, we did all the right things and it didn't fucking matter. So no, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go through that again. I'm not like, yeah, I, 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 it sounds like it's almost like a desperate feeling like, fuck no. Absolutely. Get away. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Cause it's one of those things like, okay, we did all the right things and it didn't matter. 
So what was the point, you know, which, which is, is terrible, but it, but I, but I have, I think that I'm not alone in that. And I don't think it's like a, I don't think it's a left, right thing. I think that it's just a, as you said, it's a desperation thing where people are just like, no, we, we gave up a lot and the consequences and, and the outcomes were still really terrible. Would they have been worse? Probably. But, but, you know, like, who, you know what I mean? Like, like, it's one of those things where it's like, if you don't do it completely, then it, it, it's still, you still like let, you still let things in. It's just, I don't know. Based on like how you remember the pandemic unfolding, where on the timeline do you put the point where, where you were at what you just described, which is like, we can do all we want, but because you know, this percentage of people aren't doing anything, you're feeling like it doesn't matter. Um, I would say, I would say like November, December. Mm-hmm. Of this year, 2020. uh, 2021, 2021, 2021. Oh yeah. Got it. So, so, so like you got things starts in March of 2020. 2020 yeah. And then you're saying like all the way up until about November, December, 2021, like you, you were you personally just like, okay, I get it. I get it. But you were slowly, yes. that was eroding and then, and really eroding in December. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically. I get that. I get that. Because at that point, yeah, we, you know, we were trying, we had vaccinations and we had people who were then choosing not to get vaccinated and you had, you know, sickness still coming and you had all these variants and you had all this other stuff. And at this point I was just kind of like, okay, so we didn't fix anything. We, yeah. we, we, we did all this and it didn't solve anything and it didn't stop anything. And there are still variants that are happening. And now you have people who are refusing to get vaccinated and, and, and are refusing to celebrate the, these good things that have happened. So what are we, and we don't have enough vaccines for certain parts of the world and we still have, you know, these, these conflicting kind of strategies and this and that. So like, what, what was this for? You know, like, yeah, I, I would say that, that I, I was all up for it until like November, December. And then I was just kind of like, all right, I will obviously respect whatever the guidelines are and I will respect whether personal policies any individual that I'm friends with or am around wants to follow. But for me personally, I'm done pretending like I can continue to have my life in stasis because um, the, the, the consequences and the risks don't match anymore. Like, like my, my, my personal risk assessment is now at the point where I'm like, I, I can't like for my own mental health and also just for what I would look at as the way I was looking at things like logically, not to say that my view is accurate for everyone else's. It was just kind of like, this is, this is no longer logical. This is now at a point where it is, it is, you know, like taking all these precautions and doing all this stuff isn't actually stopping anything. And then it would also get to the point where like in Seattle, we would have certain things where you would have to show your, your vaccination certificate to eat at a restaurant, which is fine. And, but they would be like, okay, you have to wear a mask until you get to the table. Then you can take mm -hmm, your mask mm -hmm. off. And then everybody's got their masks off for the next two hours as right. they talk loudly and laugh. And right, know, well, and, and that was and that was acceptable. Like it wasn't even a thing. Mm -hmm. Like they would say, oh, put your mask on when you're not eating or drinking. That wasn't it. It was like you have to wear the mask while you walk from the hostess stand to the table, and then it can come off. And so I'm sorry, but that's performative and stupid. Like. Mm -hmm. Either the mask works or it doesn't, and in many cases the cloth masks don't work. So, like, what's you've already seen that I'm vaccinated. So, what's the point, right? Right, and like, like two two things at that period that were happening. One, we were starting to realize, oh, this cloth mask thing. We're not going to continue that. Everyone gets an you know an N95 right. or whatever. Right. But also around that 
November, December 21 time, that's when I remember realizing when I was in businesses in Minneapolis and half the people were masked, the people who masked were almost definitely the people who were vaccinated, right? right? Right. Because those were the people that were willing to be like, yeah, no, I'll do this. I'll do this both because it's needed and it's symbolic, right? Right. Right. And and that was, I remember that moment just being like, oh my God, this is crazy. Exactly. And and I guess for me, as like, I kind of lost the symbolism aspect. I was like, look, (laughs) I'll do, again, I'll do whatever the guidelines tell me to do. Um, And I'll do whatever people I'm around want to do to be comfortable. And I'm okay with that, but I'm not going to do this just for symbolism sake. And also it's absolutely stupid to be like, it's okay in this five foot area. Like you are required to have a mask, but in this five foot area, you don't like. Yeah. It's dizzying. It's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. At that point, it just becomes like bureaucracy. And so that, that, that to me was that those are things that many things that broke me over the pandemic, but We've been talking too much about this. I, I apologize. You <laughs> no, have that's a, fine. You have a big list of questions, of topic, a topic list. You said you have some questions for me. So yep. I would love to hear your questions. They're just questions that I've meant to ask you from the first time I was on the podcast. So one okay. is, back in the day, you had uh, uh, you were writing a blog for USA Today, mm-hmm. Coaching American Idol, participants. And I want to hear how that came about (laughs) and anything that is of note about that experience. It's true, right? No, that's 100% true. That was my first professional writing experience. I was in college and- You were in college. How old I was in college. Uh, I was like 22, 23. Okay. How did you get it? Uh, I was a blog commenter. Nice on the blog. On the blog, so so the the then music editor at uh, USA Today, he had his music blog and he had an American Idol blog, and I used to watch American Idol with my parents. Actually, like it was like kind of our show. We always enjoyed watching it, and you know this was back when it was the number one show on television. Yeah, this was back when it was like you know its peak, and I would comment kind of on like my opinions of the music industry and of the contestants and how things were going. But I would also comment on his general music blog and he liked my commentary and he thought I was a good writer and thought I was funny and reached out to me and said, we're putting together a panel of coaches that will, there will be a column in the paper, you know, every whatever day it was where they'll be giving advice to the contestants. And, um, and then there'll be a longer version that'll run online. And would you like to do this? I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? That'd be amazing. So I was in the paper every week and like my photo was, was there. And then a longer version was online. And, um, that's amazing. I got paid $1,500, uh, which was not a lot of money, but I I thought for what for each column, no period for like, okay, got you got 1500. How long did you do it? uh, Whatever the length of the season was. So like 12 weeks, I guess. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And, uh, so not a lot of money, but I'd never done anything you know, professionally before. And uh, I bought a black MacBook with it that I named Simon because Simon Ooh, Cowell nice. wears a black yeah, t-shirt, you know, and, and American Idol inadvertently paid for, you know, my career. And no, and it was amazing. Um, what was so great about it is that gave me the confidence then to apply to blogging jobs, which then led to my professional career because that gave yeah. me the confidence to say, oh, well, I'm, if I was good enough to write here, you know, about something that I am not qualified really to comment on the same way that, you know, cause it was, it was some, some actual industry professionals and then me, who was just like the yeah. fan. Um, then, then like, okay, then clearly my writing is good enough that I could, I could write, 
you know, for a blog that pays me $10 a post. Um, <laughs> and, and it, which then, you know, led, led to, led to a much more lucrative career. Yeah. But no, it all came from blog comments. It's, it's one of those stories. I still can't believe that that happened because even in 2007, when that happened, that was not a common thing. Like that would, that seemed like that was like a, a fantasy of someone like yeah. being like, you know, uh, somebody being like literally like, you know, lifted from the blog comments and, and lifted up into, you know, like, you know, uh, stardom and, and it wasn't stardom, but it was definitely, um, I remember being in a class, I was taking this journalism class and the teacher was terrible and she sucked and she hated me. And she, um, cause I would ask questions about like, well, what about blogging? What about, you know, digital media, new media as they're calling it then. And she was really new dismissive media. of it. She was really dismissive of it. And so I was then immediately dismissive of her because I was like, whatever. And I wasn't going to tell her, well, you know, I got a job writing because I'm a blog commenter. I like didn't, didn't say that. But one day somebody in the class had a USA Today and they saw my photo and they're like, Christina, is this you? I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh my God, Christina's in the paper. And then, you know, I had to explain, yeah, I have a, a weekly, you know, thing that comes out. And the teacher, she was mad. She was like, how did you get this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I commented on the music editor's blogs and, and he liked me. And she was like, well, you know, don't expect, she basically was like, don't expect this to turn into anything. Oh my God. And, Sounds and like a bad high school teacher. It really like, does. Right. And you're never going to amount to anything. Completely. You know, she was, it was just so completely foreign to her. And I was just kind of like, and I didn't argue, I wasn't going to say anything. Cause in my mind, I was already like, lady, if I want this as a career. And I, and I thought that I kind of did at that point, I was like, I'm going to be successful. Like, yeah you know, like, uh, fuck you. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, right. but, it, but it, but it, 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 it was like, it was, it, it was even then though, it was unbelievable that it happened. So yeah, that's, it's. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Were you, um, were you, the, were you commenting on lots of different blogs or was, I mean, it, was it mostly that one? I was, it was, I mean, I commented both, both of his music blogs. I would comment on other blogs too, though. Like I had, you know, I would comment on on sites that I like to read. Like I was a Gawker commenter back when you had to audition to to uh, be in the Gawker comments. Oh, that's right. Um, what, what did that What did that actually? Uh, what was that about? How, how did you have to do that? Oh, they would just basically choose if that you were funny enough, and in that regard, or smart enough. And in that regard, I was smarter. I knew that I was like I might not be witty enough for Gawker. This is like two thousand four, maybe right. So this was a couple years before the the idol thing happened, but I I was I was like mm, I might not be good enough to stand toe to toe with the best Gawker commenters because at the time, like at that era, the comments on Gawker were almost as good as the site itself, and like that was mm. the like media and and kind of you know like like New York kind of gossip and culture, and right. like, you know like that that was like the blog, right? But Wonkette, which they owned then had a much more liberal policy in terms of approving commenters. So okay. I got approved to be a Wonkette commenter, which then in turn made me a Gawker commenter. And who was so, who was editing Wonkette at that time? Anna Marie Cox. It was Anna Marie Cox. Was it always yeah. Anna Marie Cox? Um, no, she was the original. Then I think she got hired away by time or someone, and then other people took over. And then eventually, like, Nick Denton sold Wonkette to someone else. And then I think Wonkette still exists, but I think they like are independent now, but yeah. So when it was the Anna Marie Cox era, I was a, a, I basically like did an in run around the system and I was like, okay, if I'm approved as a Wonkette commenter, then I can comment on Gawker. Um, and, (laughs) And then that like, you know, 
I'm sure I also commented on Engadget and Gizmodo and things like that, but like Gawker was like the apex because, you know, they like, you had to audition. Like they, yeah. they would even do this thing back then, such a different time in, in internet things because this before like the spam took over the, the comments and, and everything yeah. like where they would like have like comments of the week, but they would also have this thing where they would basically like, put things up for a vote, be like, should we ban this commenter or not? And like oh, the people like would, would, you know, kind of comment like based on like, like bad comments of the week. Like it was, it was brutal, but it was funny. And it was such a completely different time than now. It's so funny to think back about um, one of the saddest things that happened when they did the Gawker archive, when, when Gawker was, went bankrupt and, and then Univision for legal reasons, couldn't keep the site. Um, the archive team did archive it. And, and, um, but uh, honestly, also the, but most of that work happened behind the scenes from from the um, engineers who worked at at uh, Gawker Media Group, who mm-hmm. like went through the process of, of archiving the old site. But when they did that, the comments for most the, for most of the blogs were not archived because of the the JavaScript and other stuff. They just didn't have time, and so the the comments, which were right. in many cases so much a part of the whole thing, don't exist. Um, there are some things like if you go far, far, far back on the Wayback Machine, you might see some things, but just because of how JavaScript for commenting server side stuff would work, because it was usually, you know, like, like Kenja was its own platform, but you know, the, the way that it would usually maybe be stored on another server or whatnot, like it's not, they don't come up. So it's Mm. one of those things where, um, like there's this, this amazing part of history that is just sort of gone. Um, and, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's sad. Yeah. Right. Man, I, you know, I don't think I've thought enough about the loss of comments when you also, you know, I often, I mean, selfishly, so much work I've done has been lost because yeah. of media like organizations. Going mm-hmm. Yeah. Going under or just doing a, a you know, redesign and a yes. relaunch and not thinking through the most basic things about what would happen to the archives. Same, same. Um, but I admit that I hadn't thought about the fact that you've also lost all those comments. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is a big deal. You know, it is a big deal. Cause that was a huge part of how communication happened, like uh, pre Twitter and Facebook and, and those types of things. Like your, your, your back and forth, like were your comment sections and, right. and a lot of people built relationships and friendships and things there. And yeah. In the comment sections, in the right. Comment like sections. you would on Twitter in the exactly. early of Twitter. To some 100%. No, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I think that's one of the reasons why most organizations have gotten rid of comments is they're like, Oh, people will just use Facebook or Twitter or, you know, Instagram or whatever. Um, and also because moderating them becomes difficult, you know, not just for sure. spam, but you know, as things got bigger and bigger, like you would have more polarizing things. But like, yeah, like I, I owe my blog career to being a blog commenter. And I definitely was always somebody who would, would post in comments. Like I, I was writing letter, letters to the editor when I was like nine years old, though, right? Who like, were you? Oh, what, yeah. About what? About what? Oh, so I'll never forget this because I got a letter back. Um, it, they were sort of appreciative, but they weren't really. So there was a, an article in Glamour magazine about Depo Rivera being given to rapists to basically kind of like, um, you know, prevent them like they, what they thought like, oh, the, this will be a way to like lower their sex drive or whatever. And like, right. r- you know, have like some sort of recidivism, but the way that the story was written from, as I recall it, and, and this is many, many, many years ago was, um, in, in many ways, kind of like overly kind to the rapist mm. and, 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 and was like overly sympathetic. And I was, as a nine-year-old, I was, it was my mom's what? glamour magazine. 
No, it wasn't Glamour. It was Red Book. And, well, oh. no, it was Red Book, I think. Was it, it was Red Book or Glamour. It was one or the other. But it was my mom's, regardless. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading this and being just very bothered. And I wrote a letter to the editor, um, you know, basically, like, expressing my, you know, it was handwritten. And, like, I signed it, my, na- my, my name, my age. And it wasn't published. But most of the other published letters were of my same opinion. And, um, and, you know, I got something back from, from, from them basically like, we appreciate your comment, you know, but we, you know, are committed to this, that, and the other, you know, and, and it was just kind of one of those kind of brush off things, but it was, um, but I was incensed enough by it that my mom was like, no, they have letters to the editor. You need to write one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was kind of like my first kind of experience with that. And I think that I had a letter that are published in, in entertainment weekly, or I think it was Entertainment Weekly when I was in high school. I remember being very proud of that. Like that was like a massive thing, you know. That what like was that about. I don't remember that. I don't remember. But but okay. um, but one of my comments was was in Entertainment Weekly, um, or or some entertainment magazine. I think it was Entertainment Weekly, and and I was like very excited by that. And that was just kind of like oh my gosh, like my name, like Christina W, you know, from Atlanta or whatever is is here. And like that was like. You know, That's awesome. like, like that was like a big deal, right? Like that. And that was the sort of thing that, cause I always loved magazines and, and loved that type of stuff. And I was like, so, so blog comments made complete sense to me. I love it. I, I remember I used to tell, like, if I was, when I was working for like, even like small media organizations and someone would say like, how do I get a job at a media organization? It was like, back in the day, it really felt like, some you know if you wrote well somewhere yep. on the internet it could help you to yes. get a job now that may have been tra- true for a certain kind of person for sure like i don't even know if this is real except for your example <laughs> yeah there were i mean i know a number of people who again it's rare one offs you hear about it but what i would say is and i would still say this to this day that it's like if you want to be a writer you need to write and obviously it's harder now to get attention and, and to get like people to pay attention to you because there's so much more of it out there. But like you have to get in the habit of writing every day. Like I don't think I would have been as good um, of a commenter on the American Idol blogs I don't, or the music blog. And I was commenting, you know, like he would post several things a day and I would post comments and I was one of the active people there. Right. And then the community develops. There's a back and forth. If I wasn't like blogging personally, like on my live journal. And if I wasn't, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Like if I wasn't, if I didn't have that kind of practiced thing of I'm going to write every day. And, right. and, and I think that that I, I was, I was positioned at the right time, right place and right type of mindset where like blogging made complete sense to me. And, yeah. and so that wave of journalism and that change of the guard from print to digital, I never did the print stuff. Like I was in print, but I didn't have to write for like, like they I had an editor who'd cut the column down. Like I wasn't having to worry about like how many inches is this and how many words mm-hmm. and how to frame it. Like I never had to do any of that. Right. Like yeah. I always was even, even in college, like I didn't write for the school newspaper. I wrote for the school, like digital magazine, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, so I was always digital and because I just got it um, because I was just primed at that right place, right time. But like when I, when I mentor younger writers now, and I don't know what your advice is, but my advice is always just first and foremost, write. Like, even if no one's reading it, you know, get in the habit of, mm-hmm. of, of writing and, and, you know, doing the work because that is, you think that's obvious, but there are so many people who go to prestigious journalism schools and can't write for shit. 
right. and and you know like spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on these things and can't write for shit and mm-hmm. don't do it and don't have a voice and don't have like a, a way of writing and and that that I think like you only get better at it by doing it. Yeah, I'm really bad at giving advice about writing. I do, but the one thing that I tend to say is just wherever you write, if you want to be a writer, anything you've written is an editorial product. Yes. Like and and if anyone trying to hire you is like uh, you know, savvy at all, they'll wind up looking at that stuff. And so like it doesn't mean like censor yourself. It certainly doesn't mean like if you think you want to, you know, work in public radio, write like a public radio script writer, like don't right. do that. No. Like write your, write your heart, like write who you are, you know, and realize that I just had to tell this to my son when he was, my son's really good with language. He's a teenager. Um, and he joined Reddit a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Look, like he already knew what he was getting into. Like he had been, you know, following different subreddits for a long time. So he knew how people can be. Um, And I was just like, look, you do what you want. I can't control it, nor would I try to control it in any like serious way. Because that's uh, just a complete farce given the way the internet works um, and that you are a private person. It's like, just try not to be an asshole. Right. Like if you can just manage to not be an asshole, then because this stuff's going to be with you the rest of your life. um, Right. Or, or at least, or, or at least use like a username that then you'd never use again or don't ever, that's never linked back to you. Right. Like if you're going to be an asshole, because we've all had those times, then don't have it tied to like the username that you use your whole life. Like that's, that's the, the thing. But like I have people who there was a Simpsons forum. It was called no homers that I was on for a long time. Mm-hmm. For years, people from that forum knew me and they would see me on TV or they would see other things. And I would, I would find weird pingbacks or I see things on Twitter and they'd be like, Oh my God, film girl is on TV. You know, like these are people who knew <laughs> me from like that life. And they were really proud of me, which was really nice, you know, but like yeah. they literally saw me go from like college student Simpsons nerd fan to you know, someone who's on television and like right. made it. Right. Right. And, but, but I was always myself in those things. And, and, you know, to, to your point, wasn't an asshole. There were things that I lurked on and there were things that I'm sure I was mean and, and bad on, you know, and stuff, but you know, that thankfully most have been lost to time and some of them are under <laughs> yeah, usernames yeah. that are not associated with me at all, right. but it was, you know, like, like, like film gal. I mean, would be completely different, <laughs> right? Like, like I, I was always like my opsec, as as they say, was was always fairly good. To your point, because even back then, I was like smart enough to have an instinct that like this stuff might come back, you know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, I mean, but that's good advice to your son. It's like, yeah, this stuff will stick around, and and that and me, I'm like, I like for Reddit, I'm like, okay, well, like delete your account. You can delete the account. I mean, people can find mm-hmm. such certain things, but it would take it would take be much harder or like use a different username, you know, like right, right. if you're not super happy with some stuff, then just start a new username. Yeah. You're yeah, going to be starting over, that's good but, advice. It's, but, 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 but it's okay. Cause especially when you're like in high school and stuff, right? right like, right. I also think, and it's weird because we go as a culture, we go back and forth on this where when I started working like more professionally, like I remember like even the USA today stuff, I was like, and this was early, like Facebook was still college only. So I didn't have to really do a lot of the stuff where I had to like private all my things. But like when I got my job at blogging, like, yeah, I had to kind of lock down some of my college stuff. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you know, and I actually learned this the hard way where I had uploaded something to Flickr for a test for a, for a post for download squad and RIP and people <laughs> found all my photos because they just looked mm-hmm. at like whatever the URL and the screenshot was. Yeah. And that kind of was, I was like, Oh, and this was like 2007. And I was like, Oh, okay. I have to be way more careful. And if I'm now in any way public, then, then mm-hmm. people on the internet can draw these conclusions. And I was not famous. I didn't have, I wasn't a public figure of, of any stretch of the imagination and, and, uh, you know, didn't have any sort of following at all. But I learned that and I was like, oh, okay, I have to separate these things. And like when I got my job at Mashable, by then I'd already like had all of the sporty party photos and all that stuff. You know, that was already like archived. Because at that point, when I got that job in 2009, I had, I don't know, I had probably 10,000 followers on Twitter, which was significant for that time. But Mashable mm-hmm. was a massive, massive deal in certain circles. Like it was a massive blog. Yeah, And totally. we had was, massive yeah. traffic. And I knew, and because we did comment, we did, you know, have back and forth in the comments and whatnot. And because it was one of those things where I was like, oh, okay. So my, my personal life online has, is now no longer really going to be a thing the same way. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. at like a young age, I had to sort of realize, and I'm glad I had this lesson because I, I then would write posts. I would have to write posts about people who would get canceled where they would find bad tweets or they'd find, you know, stuff that they did in that. And like, I'm not a fan of that. Like, I'm not a fan of like taking yeah, yeah. people's like stuff they do on their personal, not public, you know, Facebook. And they're like, oh, this teacher said this and we're going to fire them. Like, I think that's fucked. Like, even if I don't mm-hmm. agree with what the person said, I'm not a fan of that. But we've seen this happen now for 15 years where you go back and forth where sometimes people are like, okay, well, this was a different time and place and this was a child, so we'll give them a pass. And then you also have the, the same, you know, era, you'll have people who are like, it doesn't matter, you know, that, that, that it was a child who wrote this, they're canceled mm-hmm. forever, right? Totally. So yeah. it, it, it's, we, we still haven't decided and it's kind of fucked up because it's going to happen probably like next time we actually have like non-octogenarians like running for office mm-hmm. when or septuagenarians whatever you know their their um thing is when we have actual like millennials like running for president social media and what people have said in their past is going to become political issues and we're going to have yeah. to start deciding what what like breaks we give because this is just going to become part of real life right like it it's mm-hmm. similar to the way like if you wrote an op-ed for college you know that could come into something um and I think most people would would dismiss some of it. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be like a, a career-ending move, but it is going to be a thing where a tweet you sent when you were 14 years old is going to be used in someone's political campaign against you. And and it's it's which is unfortunate to me, but that's just kind of like this this weird place where we are. And so yeah, I and feel it lucky. occurs to me there's this you know there's this thing that's. <clears throat> really probably ending with the the with the boomers as politicians but like there are these politicians who have known from a young age they were going to be uh trying to get some sort of office right, right. and because of that the paper trail is like nothing right like right. it's like right. meticulously trimmed along the way in the in the future when everybody's got this digital history that's going to seem real weird Right. Like, yeah, that's not going to be like, oh, you well, get to fly so. because there's nothing. It's going to be like, wait, wait, that's why cool. don't you have anything? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right. Well, and, and, and I wonder about that. And I hope that that happens. But like, I'll say this. I didn't ever have any like 
I really didn't ever th- think I was going to have political aspirations. But when I was 16 or 17, I was part of some independent film that I didn't get paid any money on. And and we wound up doing kind of that film we didn't really have any funding for. And so we then tried to shoot kind of a mockumentary thing. This is back when mockumentaries were a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, this was like 2000. And um, so we had a party and shot a mockumentary. And I was underage and drunk. And I made some comments um, about stuff. And when I made them at the time, and I'm like 16, right? Yeah. I was like, holy shit. If this video, I was like, well, there goes my political career. Like I was <laughs> yeah. drunk and underage and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And I was still like, holy shit. Well, just just blew my political career if that ever comes out. And I don't think that video ever will come out. Like I, I'm sure that it's long gone. It's never been on the internet or anything. But like I, I, I don't know what this says about me that I had like an awareness at that young of an age about yeah. that stuff. But now you're right. Like it, if you don't have those things, although a lot of kids do lock down their social media profiles and they're private, but screen caps and things exist. Mm-hmm. It is going to be weird though, to be like, I, I, at least I hope where people are going to be like, yeah, I was an idiot online. Like, I hope that's what happens. Like, I hope that's the weekend as a society that we just accept. assume. Yeah. The, the, Outside we all, of stuff that is obviously harmful or threatening or. Right. Yeah, right. That's right. what I'm saying. Right. Like, like, like being a shitlord online. I don't think when you're a teenager or even like in early college, I don't think that should preclude you 20 years later from being a different person. Mm-hmm. Because if, if the worst things I've ever said on if, that I've ever said on the internet, people wanted to hold me accountable for today that I said when I was, you know, in college, I'm sorry. I think that's fucked. I think that's mm-hmm. stupid, right? Mm-hmm. And and, and I, I'm not going to hold anybody else to those standards either, um, especially if every other indication they've made in their life shows that they're different, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to assume that that, that the edgelord shit that you did or, or the impolite stuff or the stuff that was funny and was allowed then that is no longer acceptable by today's standards or right. like was, is going to invalidate somebody's ability to you know, have a professional job, right? Like, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that I hope that we can get to that point as a culture where we can all just kind of acknowledge, yeah, we're all, you know, we've all been those that asshole kid online. That's part of growing up on the internet. And I don't know if, it, but but I but I don't know if that's if that's going to be the case or not. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I well, I I watch it curiously as someone who was past that point in my life when the internet and and being a participant in the internet became a thing um i think i was pretty set in a way of of communicating in the world by the time that happened so i was right. mercifully no exactly that's what i'm saying so that's why i think like like your 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 sons your, your sons like their generation especially is really going to deal with yeah. this but but i really do think it'll be like when we have millennials running for president it is going yep. to become like a thing because that's that's when you're you know, again, like, like my online history, like if you really wanted to be real with it, like goes back to me literally being in middle school. So, and, 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 and I'm an older millennial. So, you know, for, for anybody who's after me, then, then it's, it's even younger. Right. So it, so it's, it becomes one of those things where I I don't know, I I hope that we can be saying about it. Um, you have some other questions. We've only got, like, we we don't have much more time left, but, but which, what what do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about actually, if we wanted to, I'm looking, yeah, if we wanted to go into graptitude, I could make my part, sorry, I could make my part an extended graptitude because I wanted to, I wanted to bring up the play date one more time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. And let's so talk, let's talk about it. Should I do that for a few minutes and then yes. you can pick something if you wish? Um, Absolutely. 
So to describe Playdate again, uh, this, you know, it's created by the company Panic, who Panic does so or did so much. But do, what do they do now? What are their main things? Is it the uh, they have Nova, the text editor, uh, Nova, the text editor. What am I thinking? Sorry. Uh, transmit uh, the FTP clients. Um, they, they, they publish games like they published um, um, uh, Untitled Goose Game. Oh, they did Untitled Goose Game. Yeah, so they didn't develop it, but they're the publisher. Um, Got it. And, uh, and, and, and the Playdate, and, you know, like they're like, you know, but their history of being like some of like the, the greatest Mac apps of all time, I think. Right. Where, where would I, where, where did you first encounter Panic? Audion, which was like their like like, the, like Winamp for for Mac. This was like a Mac app oh, in yeah. in like the the like the early. It was like an MP3 player, like in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, and yeah. and that was that was great. Um, and and then like I don't know, like when I became like a, a big like Mac app person, like they made some of the best ones. Like they made an app called Candy Bar. They would let you like change the icons and like the themes of your Mac, awesome. which was awesome. And they had. Um, you know, I remember when Coda came out, which was like, you know, their Coda, like, yeah. which was amazing, which had like, you know, a CSS editor and an FTP client and like a text editor all in one. So you could like edit, you know, do all of your web projects. It was great. Um, I don't know. I've just, I've always been a really, really big panic fan. Yeah. I came on board with Coda and I mean, so given all of that kind of rich history, especially rich, very literally aesthetically colorful history, right? Right. Um, the fact that they're behind this very simple, this very elegant handheld gaming console that happens to have a crank on it, um, which is this thing called the Playdate, which Christina, I know you have. I do. Uh, and which I covet and dream about. Um, it's a play date. Uh, the play date is something that you can kind of design for yourself, um, which is super cool. If you got the play date today, there are already a bunch of kind of games people have made for it. Um, so you can just like dive right in. But then they've made this environment that actually makes it a lot easier for me because I want a play date, but they're not going to be available till 2023, right? And right. so what they have online is the Playdate SDK, which has a simulator for the play date, which is super cool and beautifully done. It has something called Caps, which is an online bitmap font bitmap font editor. So you can make oh, your own cool. uh, font. Um, and then they have something called Pulp, which is like a web-based game editor. Mm -hmm. And it it helps you do all sorts of things like make a song for your game or sounds or the sprites or whatever. And like, as someone who has seen a lot of sort of, Hey, design your own game and this web interface stuff through my kids, I found this to be just like lovely and something I absolutely wanted to engage in. And you have this, like you have this like very visual editing system, but they also have their own scripting language called pulp script. So basically panics created this like physical object for which you can do all of these wonderful things, but you can do all of those things without having the physical object, which is lucky because in this planet, on this planet, we have a chip shortage. And if you wanted to get the play date right now, you're going to, you're going to buy it and then you're going to wait till sometime in 2023. And so my gratitude is actually for their SDK environment and how much thought they put into creating these interfaces. So you can do some of these really simple, simple looking things like create your own bitmap font. Bit, I can't say that's it. hard to say. It's like rural juror. Rural bitmap juror. Font. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So anyway, panic, amazing. Um, and I just wanted to say, Christina, we've talked about this once briefly before, but I would love to hear your endorsement for the thing. Yeah, no, I think it's a great little device, right? So it's it's unfortunate that you have to wait as long as you did. Like I was able to be part of the first batch of people who got it. Like I was within, I guess, like the first 8,000 orders or something. And so I got mine probably a month and a half after they started shipping, even though I was in the first batch um, of stuff. But I was able to get mine, um, I guess I got it back like in May. And I love it. Like it's, it's adorable. It's, um, it's whimsical. So it's one of these things like it is not going to be your full-time game machine. Like it's a nice little kind of, you know, toy. Right. And it, and it's designed, I think for people like me who have enough disposable income and have like nostalgia and also like the idea of both playing indie games, but also maybe building their own. And, and I think that was the thing that for me, like they, they have this, this concept of season. So when you buy it, you'll get two new games every week, um, for six weeks. And then, um, so you wind up with, you know, like, like, like 12 games and, and it, and they're, they're fun, but there's also additional games you can either buy or get for free from itch.io or or GitHub and that the people have created for it. And then you can build your own, you can sideload things. It's super easy to do. And people are even building things like Game Boy emulators and, and other stuff, which is, which is really fun. Like it's just, it's a really delightful little device, but, but like you, I think that all the work they've put into like the SDK, and like the the game engine stuff, like I actually, I haven't gotten too far with it. I've had other things going on, but I, I want to like build my own game. And the thing is, is that game development is so complex now. There's no way that I could even think about trying to do that on, on any other platform, to be totally honest, right? Like like just both with my artistic skills and also just how much would go into like the, the, the programming and whatnot. And so the fact that I, I can come up with some ideas of, of like maybe creating my own like little, little small game, I think is um, that even, even just as an exercise, like even if nobody else ever played it, I think is really fun. And, and I appreciate that so much about, about panic and about like what this device is, you know, that, that it's, I think that it, it's not designed to be something that, millions and millions of people own like this is this is for a specific audience but i think it's a really fun device and i'm really really pleased with it and it's incredibly well made and um I'm, you know very very proud of them because i know i first used it at xoxo like a prototype um in in 2019 and um you know i i i've been waiting for this thing for for years and so i was really excited that that i was able to get mine and and um you know it's it's really fun that's awesome. And how cool um, that they have, that this has been their journey. Like when I think it was, I wanted you to go through Panic's history because it's so fascinating to to see them take this turn into this very simple yeah. looking device that they've approached with all of their sort of aesthetic talent and, and yes. care and everything else. And like, again, I don't know if this was planned or if it's just how it ended up, but the fact that you can immerse yourself in this thing without having the physical item is something that I kind of wonder, maybe that's like a, an accidental model for things moving forward as we deal with chip shortages. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that definitely like they had to kind of figure out a way early on like, as they were still working on stuff like, okay, how do we get people to develop this? And so maybe part of it was, you know, creating like a, an SDK maybe out of necessity. And then I think it becomes with the chip shortage even more important. And and Panic's whole ethos, like I still have someplace. So they sold these, this was 
I don't even know how many years ago, but they made Atari styled software boxes for their mm. apps, like with the uh. Atari drawing style and stuff. And like they sold them on their web shop and I have them somewhere. So like they've oh always God. loved games and they've always loved this sort of retro nostalgia stuff. Like that's always been part of their ethos. And so the play date really fit with all of that. But yeah, I mean, what great timing to be able to have such a fully functional, you know, emulator and SDK so you can play with it before actually having it. So if you do pre-order one, you can, you know, like, okay, you're going to be waiting, you know, sometime into 2023 for it, but you, you can, you know, be able to, um, you, you can still like get the sense of what it'll be like and, and, and try games out and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, it's, I'm convinced. I, I partly brought this topic up to convince myself to buy it. Um, and I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, I think that it is unfortunate that it's like taking as, as, as long as, as it has, but, um, uh, they don't have any control over that. Right. Like they, right. No, it, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a crappy situation for them. Um, and I'm sure that they wish that they could do, you know, sell, sell all the things, but it's interesting. Cause I, I got my pocket from a company called analog, which is basically an FPGA, like game boy and game boy advance. Um, and so analog is a company that makes very expensive, but well-designed um, and beautifully designed like FPGAs of like exact, you know, like perfected, like, like one-to-one um, like recreations of things like the super Nintendo or the Nintendo or the Sega Genesis. And then the pocket handheld is kind of like, you know, it's, it's a, it's an expensive, you know, Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color, whatever, uh, you may have original Game Boy. And I got that a few months before I got the Playdate. And I'll be honest with you, I've spent a lot more time with the Playdate. I think not the, the Pocket is more um, powerful and I can play real games on it and whatnot. Uh, real games meaning like real like games from my childhood for like Tetris yeah. and, and Super Mario Brothers and things like that. But I think the Playdate just has a lot of, um, you know, like more more fun in terms of just it, it's just whimsy I, I don't know i love it I, I'm yeah it's like fan. it's just one of those one of those products that just is like beckoning you <laughs> totally totally I like i like it. like i said i think for like for i think for like perfect people and uh, not perfect people bleh. i think <laughs> that for certain people this is just a really perfect product that's what i was trying to say for certain people this is a really perfect product it's not for everyone but for the people that it is for i think that it's like really good so yeah yeah awesome you got some graptitude yeah i'm uh i'm trying to kind of uh narrow it down slash find something for my graptitude okay actually this this is one um i uh it's not widely available yet it is just in private preview but it will it will be coming open but this is cool so the visual studio code team just announced slash um i, I guess it's it's in i still don't have access yet but i will have it soon um, from, from what they tell me, a uh, Visual Studio Code server. And so what this is, is one of my favorite parts of Visual Studio Code for the last probably four years or three years or whatever has been their remote development extension. And that has um, basically means that you can um, have like, you know, code running on another machine and you can kind of like SSH or, uh, you know, do whatever else into it and then be accessing all of your builds and your extensions and stuff using the web interface or um, even like a local VS code instance on your, on your, um, you know, uh, laptop or, or Chromebook or iPad or, or uh, what have you. And so um, it, it's been a, a really, really um, great way to like 
for Windows, for instance, this was, I think, kind of its, its, its original kind of conception was the idea would be like, okay, if I'm using the Windows subsystem for Linux, I want all my Linux tools and user land stuff. And so I can have all of, you know, like my versions of OpenSSL and I can have like, like my, my new tool chain and I can have all of my versions of Python or, or, you know, Node or whatever I want without having to, you know, deal with the complexities of having that running under Windows. I can mm. have all that running in my, you know, fully, you know, baked like Linux environment, but I'm able to access that transparently using Visual Studio Code for Windows. So I'm using the native interface that I know and love, but all the tooling and everything is actually executing on the Linux side. And that's great. And so you then saw a number of, of, of um, you know, different uh, uh, companies like the Code Server and, and Gitpod and some other um, people who would kind of create a way where you're like, okay, you can run, you know, um, instances of, of Visual Studio um, in the cloud. And, and again, like, okay, I've got a VPS server somewhere that I'm paying five or $10 a month for, and that's pretty powerful. And I'm having that run all of my coding environment stuff. And then I'm just using whatever front end I want from whatever machine I happen to be on at the time, which is pretty powerful. Uh, that then led to things like a visual studio code space, or excuse me, GitHub code spaces, uh, which is like a, basically the same thing where it's a cloud um, based uh, thing that you pay for. And basically you can create a machine of how, what, however powerful you want it to be. And it's running all of your, um, your, your code stuff, but you're able to access it natively in or on the web and in, in visual studio code um, without having to mess up your own machine, install things locally that way. And it makes it a really easy way to set up like dev boxes or do things for tutorials and, and other stuff. Um, but one of the things with that has been like, as much as like, I love GitHub code spaces, like, okay, but what if I don't want to pay for it? What if I want to run this locally in my server, my closet or something? And so um, the, the Visual Studio Code team just announced uh, a couple weeks ago something called Visual Studio Code Server, which basically is they're, they're going to be open sourcing and basically, you know, letting it, it's a CLI and a server code that you could run on your remote machine or wherever you want to develop against and then you can um, basically create whatever kinds of, of dev instances you would want there. And then kind of transparently, like using uh, VS Code.dev, access those, those machines and instances. So this, this will make hmm. developing on an iPad really, really easy. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and it'll be free or free insofar as like, you know, you just bring your own compute. So if you wanted to install it on a VPS, you can, if you have a server in your closet, like I do, you can do that. Or if you have a more powerful home machine that you always have on and connected and you want that to be kind of home base, and that's where you want your builds and your Docker containers and all that stuff to live, you can do that. But then from any of your other machines, you could just go to vscode.dev and like log in and have access to that stuff whether you're on an iPad or a Chromebook or a laptop that doesn't have those versions of, of Python or Node or, or you know, uh, C Sharp or, or whatever installed, and you don't have to go through, or even Docker, and you don't have to go through that, that process of setting those things up. You're just remotely executing things um, basically in the cloud, but kind of transparently, you know, in, you know, a, a native app or your web browser. Awesome. That's awesome. So, so, so VS Code Server, which um, again, it's in private preview, but it'll be opened up to more people. You can, there's a sign up form. We've got the links in the show notes, but I'm actually pretty excited about this. So that's, uh, that's my pick. Nice. There it is. 
The first ever uh, Christina Jeff overtired. I like it. I like it. I, I um I, I would love to talk more about you. Like I'd love to hear from you. We should have our own kind of like side chat sometime. I want to hear about how you got into music journalism and, and journalism in general. And like I would love to like hear like what your what your um process was and journey. It was largely to stumble without falling. <laughs> which is great though, right? Because because now yeah. you've been doing it for however many years. Like it's it's which is really incredible. So <laughs> awesome. Well, we can always talk about that. Um, and uh, next week we'll be back, the three of us. Yep. Um, I sure hope you get some sleep. Get some sleep, Jeff. <laughs> get some sleep. The system is going down low.